Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. It happened in a place called Bay City, where as unwelcome to a fat fry cook with a secret and a dapper gambler. But to the long arm of the law, I was poisoned. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Long Arm. I got my Sunday best on. Going strutting with Miss Laura Belly. Oh, fine. Every time I take a shower, I've never seen it. All right. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Mr. Philip Marlowe, please. Yes, yeah, speaking. One moment, please, sir. Bay City is calling. Bay City. I have your party, call? sir. Go ahead, sir. Thanks. Hello, is that you, Marlowe? Yeah. This is Ernie Parch, Phil, at Bay City. Parch? Yeah, you remember me, don't you? No, I can't see. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ernie Potts. You're the guy who saved my life when the Bay City law left me beat up and bleeding all over the city dump, right? Yeah, 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 that's it. Oh, yeah. Marlowe, please, listen. What? I'm in an awful jam. Like what? I just got out of jail yesterday. A year and a day. Jail, Ernie? Yeah, yeah, a very neat frame, Phil, but... Oh? Not half as neat as the one they're trying to hang on me now. This one's worse. You remember my wife, don't you? Grace, tall, blonde? Yeah, yeah, what about her? She's dead, Marlowe. Oh, no. She was murdered. They're going to try to pin it on me. You'll come right away, huh? Well, look, Ernie, I, I'm poisoned in Bay City. You know that. But please. Rake's Thurman would give a year's pay just to watch me break an arm. Five if I drown. But, Marlowe, you don't know it was Thurman who had you messed up for sticking your nose into Bay City politics? No, no, but I can sure second guess it. It was tough cop but, tactics all the way. And you mean you won't help me? Yeah, well, Ernie, really, I'm sorry, kid, but you better get yourself an honest lawyer and... In and... Bay City? You know better than that, Phil. Who'd have the guts to knock heads with the police in this town? Especially when they got a custom-tailored pigeon like me standing by with one wing already clipped. Phil, I tell you, it looks like I murdered Grace. Yeah, now look, kid, Phil, I... I saved your life once. Okay. What's your address, Ernie? It's 38 Orlando Drive. <laughs> City was a snug seacoast town some 20 miles southwest of L.A. and about twice that distance from being on the up and up. Its string of gambling houses were politely winked at by some elements of the law and its gamblers in turn politely winked back while the folding money passed from sucker to slicker to crooked cop. But Bay City also was home to a lot of honest fishermen, retired real estate brokers and another element of the law, good cops. Which side Detective Lieutenant Rake Sturman was on, I'd never been able to figure. He only added one way, all cop, morning, noon, and night. The kind who made any private detective feel a little less welcome than a leper. Well, an hour after dark, I pulled up and parked well away from 38 Orlando Street. Five minutes later, I was watching a nervous Ernie Parch wear out the carpet in his shabby living room. It was, it was at Art Minnelli's place, Phil, about a year ago. The little casino. It's out north on the edge of town. Uh-huh. I've had a few drinks with some of the guys who worked at my gas station. One thing led to another, and 
So finally, we were out there trying to pyramid 50 bucks into 50,000. That's when the cops came in, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of those pre-election raids that look good in the papers. You want a drink? Sir? No, no, thanks. But look, that raid couldn't have gotten you a year and a day, Ernie. No, no. But the gun they found in my top coat pocket could have. Mm-hmm. And did. Yeah, 38 I'd never seen before in my life. Plant, huh? Yeah, plant that I could only figure two ways, Phil. Either someone at Art Manelli's place just happened to choose my pocket to drop his gun into, or, or someone just happened to drop it in on purpose. Someone who was sweet on grace and wanted me out of the way. Now, look, you're sure you know what you're saying, Ernie? I'm positive. 366 days in prison with only one miserable letter from her convinced me. That and the word I got at Gumbo's place late this afternoon. Gumbo's place? Yeah, yeah, Gumbo's shanty. Uh, the chicken joint run by a fat fry cook named Lou Gumborski. Mm. Grace worked there. I, I stopped in just before I ran into Lieutenant Rake Sturman. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean, ran into Sturman? What happened? Well, Phil, I, I was on the street getting into my sedan, you see? Yeah. I picked it up from a guy who was using it while I was away. When Sturman pulled up alongside of me in a squad car and he, he started to tell me how much he liked seeing ex-cons back in Bay City. What interrupted him? Oh, a call on a police radio. But before he left, he promised to drop around here sometime tonight and chat a while. Mm-hmm. And before that at Gumbo's place? I found Grace. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I... You've had enough, Ernie. No. You found Grace and what? We had a fight. She admitted running around, said I wasn't worth waiting for. But she wouldn't say who was. I slapped it hard. All right, take it easy. Grace is dead now, murdered, remember? Yeah. Yeah, she's dead. Yeah, and they're going to tag me for it. Maybe. Now, tell me what happened after you left Gumbo's. Uh, I ran into Sturman, like I said. Yeah. Then I drove around for a couple hours to cool off. When I got hold of myself, I, I came back here and I found her. Strangled to death. In that chair, Phil... It was horrible. What'd you do about it, Ernie? I, I, I'm not sure exactly. I, I, Here. I changed my mind. Thanks, Phil. <clears throat> now, I, I decided to get her out of here. It was just getting dark, so I, I waited a little, and then and I carried her down the rear stairs, and I put her in my car in the back seat. I put a blanket over her. She's still there, Phil. I was going to drive the car away, but, well, I, I, I guess I, I lost my nerve. What am I going to do, Phil? Sturman might be here any minute. Then you got to help me. You must have... Ernie, Ernie, that won't do it. I'm sorry. I... All right, kid. Are the keys in the car? No, no, no. I, I got them here. What are you going to do? I don't know. But you get out of here. Do something. But what, Phil? Anything. Go to a movie. Act as relaxed as you can. Do anything. Except come back here for the, at least two hours. Now, go on. All right. All right, Phil, whatever you say, I, I'll go to a movie. Yeah, right now, right away. Thanks, Phil. I know you'll get me out of this. Ernie Parch's vote of confidence made comfortable listening for both of us. When he was gone and I was down the rear stairs and out to his car in the alley, keys in hand, I realized that it stopped right there in the back seat. Then in the light that spilled from a nearby unshaded window, I saw I was going to have company. Sharp-pointed elevator shoes, careful blue flannel, and patent leather hair over a pasty face. All of it no more than five and a half feet and held together by a hand-painted tie that sported a dapper knot the size of a cantaloupe. Good evening. 
I wonder if you could help me. I'm looking for Ernie Parch, uh, 36 Orlando Drive. I couldn't find any number on this house, is it? Yeah, but Parch isn't in. He just left. Oh. You know where he went? No, no. <laughs> it's all right, Cautious. I only want to talk to him. My name is Art Manelli. I'm a friend of his. Uh, an acquaintance. You? The same, yeah. He went to a movie, Mr. Manelli. Uh, <laughs> I saw the picture, so I'm going home, back to San Diego. I live there. Oh, good. San Diego means U.S. 101 to the south, and right past my next stop. I came in a cab, or don't those keys in your hand there say that you're leaving? I mean, I don't want to appear presumptuous. Or wait for a taxi. Or wait for a taxi. Mm. Shall I get in, or do you want to slide over to the driver's seat from here? I want to slide, if that's all right with you. Mm, perfectly. Um, tell me, Mr. Crewshutter. Uh, yeah. You had business with Ernie? Personal business. You, Mr. Manelli? Yes, I wanted to see Ernie about a good location I have in mind for a new gas station. You know about such things? Uh, no, no, and I don't think you do either, Manelli. Unless, of course, the pumps can be converted into roulette wheels. Oh, you know who I am, eh? Yeah. I also know it's a little strange for you to show up at Ernie's place the day after he gets out of the state pen for a frame that took place at your little casino. What are you getting at, Mr. Crewshutter? An outside chance that you yourself were responsible for that frame? That you're anxious to see what, if anything, Ernie intends to do about it? The light's red, Crewshutter. No fool. Now tell me, uh, why would I want to frame Ernie Park? I don't know. Could be, Manelli, that you did it accidentally, you know, a little gun hidden in a big hurry. Or it could be you had a tighter reason, huh? Like what? Like Grace Parch, very pretty girl. You're out of your mind. Yeah, sure I am, Manelli. Just plain nuts. So why don't you get out here? <clears throat> get yourself a nice, sane taxi cab. It'll be safer. All right. Just as you say. Uh -huh. Me and my pal need a lift going toward the highway. Sure he is. I ain't well, Come on, Norm. We'll ride in the back seat. No, I got stuff in there. Close that door and beat it. Oh, okay, Happy. Thanks a lot. Stop, Mr. Crewshutter. What kind of? Rum, Manelli. I'm a bootlegger who never got the word, believe me. Oh, but I do. <laughs> the light green, Mr. Crucian, eh? So long. I went three short blocks and I got out of the traffic and drove as far back toward Orlando Street as a vacant lot that was only a block away from Ernie's. There, after I wiped the wheel, the gear shift, everything else I touched clean of prints. I left the sedan as is and walked back to where I'd originally parked my own car. Behind the wheel of my coupe, I spent the next 20 minutes finding Gumbo's shanty where Grace Parker and Daddy Longlegs standing knee-deep in the Pacific Ocean and circled at the waist by an imitation ship's deck for summertime outdoor eating. A gangplank led up from the street level, and when I'd gone about half the length of it, I saw something at the door ahead, shaped like a bowling pin topped by a chef's hat and encompassed by a yard and a half of Hickok belt that said, this had to be fat fry cook Lou Gumborski. He was turning the reversible sign from open to close. Sorry, mister, I'm closing early tonight. Food's all gone. All right, how about a drink? I only want a quick shot, Gumbo. Gumbo? You're a stranger here. How you know the name? Well, it's written overhead in four-foot letters. I keep my eyes open. Okay. Come on in. Make it fast. I want to hit the hay. Oh. You live here? Yeah. What do you want? Scott. Anything weird? Little information? Oh. Uh -huh. About what? Girl who works for you, Grace Parch. I don't know anything about her. Mm. Not even for five, Gumbo? Make it ten. 
Okay, ten. And the drinks on the house, huh? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, mister. Grace Porch is five foot two, eyes are blue. Also, she could work at six tonight like she does every night, period. Uh-huh. Here's to you. <clears throat> now, tell me, where's she been going while Ernie's been in stir? For another ten? Yeah, for another ten. On one condition, no more lousy poems, Gumbo. Just a few straight facts, huh? Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> another drink? No, no, no. Facts first. Where's she been hanging around? A little casino. Oh, it's Manelli's joint, huh? Yeah, Manelli's place, where a lot of people hang out. What is it? What are you staring at, Gumbo? A window, eh? I thought I saw someone out there on a dick looking in. Probably seagulls. Forget it. Now, look, I'd Shut like up. to know... Sure, sure it is someone. Get away in a car. Oh, any idea who it was? Huh? I said any idea... I heard you. Now, go on home, mister. Get out of here. Take it easy, big guy. You got 20 bucks. Give for... it. Yeah. There's your lousy 20 bucks and the drinks on the house and good night. After one question. The guy in that car that just took off, was it Manelli? I'll repeat myself. Good night, mister. Okay. I'll let it go at good night, Gumbo, but just for now. I wasn't going to get any more out of Gumbo, so I went back to my car, pointed it north toward the edge of town in the little casino where I figured I might get a lead on Manelli's whereabouts. Thirty minutes later, when I was there out of my car and standing in front of what looked like an oversized concrete blockhouse alone in a parking lot the size of the Coliseum, I figured different. A huge sign out front, red clothes for alterations, will reopen soon, bigger and better than ever. <laughs> Gambling in Bay City was obviously on the QT like an artillery barrage. <laughs> I got back to 38 Orlando Street. Nearly three hours had gone by since I'd last seen Ernie. As I started up the steps toward the light in his living room, I wasn't happy over the lack of information I had for him. But when I opened the door and saw what was waiting for me, that didn't matter. In one huge, beefy, freckled hand, there was the usual police department 38 revolver. Hello, kid. The ice-cold gray eyes, the thick, broken nose, the nasty curl of the lips... All belong to Bay City's toughest homicide detective, Lieutenant Rake Sterling. Hello, Marlowe. I've been waiting for you too long, kid. Why, well, I would have baked a little cake if I knew I was going to have this much time. Where's Ernie Parts, Sterling? He's under arrest, kid. We found his wife's body. He's under arrest for murder. You know what else, kid? No, what else, kid? So are you. <laughs> In just a moment, the second act. Now, with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Long Arm. And Lieutenant Sturman moved toward me, curled the thick fingers of his left hand into a fist. I braced myself, but the blow never came. <laughs> Instead, he shoved his face up close to mine and his mouth twisted into a one-sided grin that was as full of fun as a set of thumb screws. Well, you finally came through for me, didn't you, kid? I don't know what you're talking about. I've been waiting a long, long time for you to pull something in my town, Marlowe, where you can't run back across the line and hide behind the skirts of your cop friends over in L.A. You're having yourself a pipe dream, Sturman. Lieutenant Sturman! And don't forget it. Real sorry, officer. 
Now, do you mind explaining what this is all about? That's one of my rights as a citizen, you know, even in Bay City. As far as I'm concerned, killers ain't got any rights. Now tell me you had nothing to do with Grace Torch's murder, so I can tell you why you're a stinking liar, private detective. I suppose private detectives have no rights either, huh? None. Ah. We found the girl's body in a car, parked at a vacant lot, and somebody overlooked a couple of fingerprints, which I'm going to match up with yours, Marlowe. How come you're so sure? Because we pulled Ernie Parch out of the movies five minutes after we found his wife. And jailbirds sing in Bay City, Marlowe. We don't horse around with him. Come on, let's go. Wait a minute. Boy, you pushed too far on the wrong track. There's an angle here you ought to know about. Uh, there's always an angle with you, ain't there, bright boy? Yeah, but you're going to like this one. First in that car you're so proud of, you're going to find Prince from One Art Manelli. That's right. One who stays in operation when everybody else in Bay City is closed up. You better find out whose toes you're stepping on down at City Hall before you... Right out! We've got problems in our town, Peter, but that's not one of them. Now, if you've got something intelligent to offer, spill it. Without wisecracks. All right. Ernie Parch was framed a year ago in Manelli's joint. No doubt on Manelli's orders. Why? Because Grace Parch was a pretty girl with the end for gamblers, that's why. All the time Ernie was in the cooler, she was running down to Manelli's place, and I got a witness to prove it. She also makes it a kind of little cheap tramp that gets out of hand. Go on, detective! <clears throat> Manelli showed up here tonight with no satisfactory reason for it. What's more, you warned Ernie Parch just this afternoon that you were keeping an eye on him. Even if he wanted to kill his wife, he's not stupid enough to have done it tonight. But from Manelli's standpoint, it was a perfect time, you see, because you guys would go for it just exactly as you have. Now, look. I, I know you got no use for me, Stone. But you're a cop after all. And as long as somebody's got to take a rap, it might as well be the right guy. You know what, sweetheart? What? Your fairy story makes average listener. Just average, nothing else. Now get going! Too tired to take what I know I'd be given. Once Rick Sturman got me inside the Bay City headquarters, I made my decision fast. There were three steps in the front porch of the wall, and he was right behind me. I took the first two, then turned and grabbed! He sailed over my shoulder, and I heard him land flat on his back on the sidewalk as I rounded the corner of the house. I crossed the backyard, vaulted the fence, and put a hundred yards of alley between us before I even stopped to think. Then I went back to my car, drove down to the water again in Gomborski's chicken shanty. The place was dark and locked up tight. I went around to the back where his living quarters were and listened. A crocodile slithering over the floor inside would have made the same sound. I pushed the door open and went in. It was Domborski, all right, but you couldn't tell it from his face. That had been worked over long and hard by an expert. He didn't know I was there until I touched him. Get away. Come on, get out of here. Who gave you the beating, Gumbo? Lay off, will you please? Am I took enough already? All right, come on, get up. Oh. That's it. Now look, Gumbo, you told me one thing about Art Manelli, that Grace Parch went to his joint a lot. And you spotted somebody outside the window and you clammed up. I come back now and I find you like this. Isn't it obvious you're wasting your time trying to protect him? Oh, shut up. Shut up and get out of here. Listen to me, you poor sap. Can't you see you're going to be living with this from now on? Every time he gets the jitters, he'll give you another going over to match this one. Well, he really gets jumpy, Buster, and then he'll do worse than that. Don't you get it? Well, listen, mister, that's guessing. And I know what'll happen if I open my yap again. I'm just not going to take that chance. Don't you realize we'll never lick Manelli if we don't fight? Leave me alone. Yeah, leave me alone. I'm not saying nothing. You understand nothing. Not one word. Now, get out! 
for him. Get out. All right, you miserable sucker. I'm through talking to you. You'll think the other guy gave you a light massage by the time I'm through with you. Yeah, well, that's what you think. Hey, now stay where you are. I don't want to kill you, mister, but I will unless you beat it. I'd rather face that than talk. You're getting in too deep, aren't you, Gumbo? There's nothing else I can do. No nothing to me. I know which side my bread's buttered on. Yeah, but you made one big mistake already. Mistake? What? What do you mean? You left yourself wide open for this coffee pot. I'm sorry, sucker, but I don't have much time. Drop the gun. Come on, drop it. That's better. Now, just tell me one thing and I'll leave you alone. All I want to know is where I can locate Arpinelli right now. He's at his club, but they're a little casino. You're lying. I was down there. It's closed. It's being remodeled. I'm not. I'm not lying. All right, you need some more rubbing. Okay. Okay. He's got a suite of rooms downstairs under the club. They're not being done over. That's where he lives. He ought to be there now. But you've got to protect me. Sturman and Manali will kill me. He'll kill me. That's all I want to know. So long, Gumbo. At the first phone booth I came to, I stopped, looked up a Bay City number, and made a call, which took five minutes. Then I went on to the little casino. I parked on a side street, then went down the ramp to the underground garage in the rear. There was a door between two ornate bronze urns, Alibaba size, and I started toward it. But on a hunch, I stopped and studied the decoration on one of the urns. I finally found it. A small hole in the side. I took my handkerchief out and stepped into the hole. From somewhere inside the apartment, I heard a chime ring. I got my gun out, then tried the door, and it opened. Into a long, lush hallway draped at the far end with a heavy gold curtain. I waded through a green carpet deep enough to mow up to the curtain and pulled it aside. Minnelli sat at a wide, glossy desk, methodically filing his nails. His eyes staring straight at me. You got this far. Come on in. Don't tell me you're all alone here, Manelli. No, I got 500 dancing girls, smart guy. What's on your mind? You act like you were expecting me. I knew somebody was coming. There's an electric eye in those brass jugs out of the door. Anybody passes, it rings that chime there. Satisfied? Now what's with the gun? Put it away. In a minute, maybe. Seen Lieutenant Sturman tonight? Why? Should I? You've been rubbing elbows with homicide. But I didn't kill anybody. No, I guess you didn't. But I've got a good idea who did. Ernie Parch, of course. Uh-uh, no, no chance. It was your business partner, Lieutenant Rake Sturman himself, and five will get you ten. He's got big news for you. Yeah? Hey, Rake. Steady, Marlowe. Don't move. Well, uh, look what crawled out of the woodwork. I'll get his gun, Rake. Sit down, Manelli. I'll take it myself. Yeah, that's better. Now, don't budge either one of you. Wait a minute. What is this? Shut up. You said you killed Grace Parch, but you were in love with her. We used to meet her right here in this room. Yeah, that was before she found out a couple of things and began to put the pressure on me. We got in a brief today, and I lost my head. Now, shut up. Okay, Marlowe. Let's have it. How'd you dope it? Oh? Gamborski took a beating tonight just because he mentioned Manelli here. With a little more pressure, he mentioned someone else. You, Sturman. And why would you shut Gamborski up about Manelli unless you and Manelli were connected? That connection was all I needed. Uh-huh. Right on the button, sweetheart. For all the good it'll do you. Listen, I don't get this. I don't understand. You don't have to anymore. You're through. What are you saying, Rake? You know too much about me, Manelli. You know it all. Now, wait, you can't do this? Yes, I can. In fact, Marlowe here gave me the idea. He even worked out all the motives. So it's easy. 
I, I came here to arrest you for Grace Parch's murder. You, you resisted, and I had to shoot you. <laughs> Isn't that a shame? But, but about this Ernie Parch... I intended to hang it on him, Manelli, but he's nothing to me. I don't care if he lives or dies. But you, you're, you're getting too big for your britches anyway. So this is better, and I get three birds with one stone. Grace, Manelli, and you, Marlowe. Uh, before you start pulling the triggers, Thurman, you better ask your boys. Huh? A couple of them are waiting for you behind that gold curtain there. Ah, you're a liar, Marlowe. The electric guy would have tipped us off if anybody else came in. I blinded that eye with my handkerchief on my way in. That's right, Lieutenant what? Thurman. Dirty. How long you been there? Quite long enough. Better drop it, Lieutenant. I don't take orders from you, Sergeant. You do tonight. Chief himself sent us out. Yeah, I took the liberty of going over your head, Lieutenant, just before I came in. Under the circumstances, you'll understand. Why, right? you... Better drop it, Lieutenant. Drop it! Okay, now, come on. You two guys, too. Come along quietly. Sure, sure. Always glad to ride with old Rake's Terman any time at all. Just as long as there's a couple of policemen in the same car. <laughs> Before it was all over in the Bay City, police headquarters, everybody from the mayor to the dog catcher had put his two cents in. And I'd given the same answers to the same questions at least 50 times. All about crooked cops and Rake Sturman in particular. But finally, hours later, I was free to go home. And as I drove through the quiet streets, I was still thinking about cops. This time, the other kind. The underpaid, overworked cops that pound the city sidewalks day and night. You know the guys who do everything from telling kids the way to the grocery store to untangling the rush hour traffic. Yeah. And I thought about each one of those cops who someday chases a hopped-up gunman down a blind alley and doesn't get home that night. Or any night. Ever again. And then I forgot all about Rake's Terminal. Because after all, he was just one bad one in a multitude of good ones. An insignificant sore on the long arm of the law. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Barney Phillips, Ted Osborne, Sidney Miller, Tom Tully, and Bert Holland. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... It could have been perfect. Snowbound in a mountain lodge with a girl who was falling in love. But also present were a widow sick with rage, a bitter old woman, and a jealous man. All with reason to hate me more than anyone else in the world. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. It could have been perfect. 
Snowbound in a mountain lodge with a girl who was falling in love. But also present were a widow sick with rage, a bitter old woman, and a jealous man. All with reason to hate me more than anyone else in the world. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. With Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Grim Echo. Pretty thick. Yeah. You're lucky you caught me, son. Yeah? We're just closing up. Well, when you have. Yeah, better fill it with a regular, huh? Okay. Does that mean that you're aiming to go on? That's right. Gotta get back to LA. I wouldn't advise it, son. Old Jacker and sure wouldn't. Liable to hit ten below, they say. Yeah? Where you been, skiing? Yeah, a week of it up at Angel's Roost. How's the road ahead? Well, you got 40 miles or nothing but mountains to the next town, you know. You're bound to get drifted over any time. Hey, why don't you blow that thing? Eh? Hey, what's the tariff? Oh, call it three bucks even. You know, I've been running this mobile gas station here for 20 years, and I know these storms are nasty. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'll be all right. Yeah, that's what you all say. Out on the road, you could freeze to death. Real easy. And this plaid shirt I'm wearing, you're ripping me, Pop. Uh, listen, that shirt won't even start to keep you warm on a deserted highway in this blizzard. Take it from old Jacker and son, I know. Yeah, well, thanks anyway. So long, old Jacker. solid nerve-wracking hour to make 12 miles. And I began to realize just how right old Jack Ernst, the gas station boy, had been when the road ahead was lost completely in a constant racing blur of white. Transformed every rise into a treacherous barrier I had to batter my way through. The chains on all four wheels chewing at the drifts, I managed to keep on the road somehow and plow out another five miles. And then... I caught a glimpse of the first lighted window I'd seen in all that distance just as I started down the backside of a short, steep hill. Then it happened. First, the helpless feeling of a skid. Before I could do anything about it, I was off the road in the ditch, nose first and hood deep, in a culvert drifted full of snow. I forced the door open and floundered back up to the road. I knew there was no chance of getting the car out without help and lots of it. And the ten below zero that the weather bureau had bragged about was setting in. I looked back through the slashing snow for the lighted window I'd spotted and saw a lantern swinging crazily in the hands of somebody coming toward me. A minute later, I could see it was a girl. Hello! Hello, are you hurt? 
No, I'm okay. Huh? My car's stuck. I skidded off the road. Yes, I know. I watched it. Oh, my. No chance of getting it out of there tonight. Oh. That's bad. Maybe tomorrow, if the blizzard lets up, we can get you out. Meantime, you better come on up to the lodge, mister. The lodge? Uh-huh. Mean I slid off the road right in front of a tourist lodge? Uh, oh, boy, how can I be that lucky? Well, maybe it's fate. We're not open for business in the winter, but on a night like I this... I know what you mean, believe me. I really appreciate it. Could get tough staying out here. Oh, by the way, my name's Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. I want to pay what? you for... Did you say Philip Marlowe? Yeah, something wrong with What's that? your business, Mr. Marlowe? Oh, well, I'm a private detective from L.A. I've been skiing. I... I don't care where you've been or where you're going. You'll get no help from me, Mr. Philip Marlowe, you understand? I'd rather give shelter to a dirty dog. I hope you freeze, do you hear? I hope you freeze to death. She was a thin girl with black hollow eyes, full of hate for me. She didn't stop or look back all the way to the door, just ran in and slammed it shut. Couldn't understand it. Even on my worst day, my reputation never was that bad. I didn't wait around to worry about it because I was cold. Besides, I wanted to know why the good name Philip Marlowe was such poison at a place I'd never heard of before. I waded up to the heavy, rustic door and looked in through a tiny window. All I could see was one corner of what had to be a big room. It was log, leather, and Navajo rugs, dominated by an enormous fireplace that filled every nook with a warm, dancing glow. <laughs> poison or no, I wanted in. Bad night to travel. <laughs> sure did. Oh, well, uh, won't you come in? Oh, sure, sure. I, uh, I'm Donna. How are you? This is Echo Lodge. Uh, We're not open now, but, well, of course, you can't go on in the storm. No, I can't. Besides, my car's in the ditch. Well, uh, you'll be spending the night then. I'd love to, but there seems to be two schools of thought on that subject. Well, what do you mean? Well, I don't know why, but, you know, I don't think I'm very welcome. Why do you say that? Well, I... I'll uh... tell you why, Donna. Well, Helen. Oh, dear, what's wrong? You've been crying. Do you know who he is? No, we haven't gotten around to the magic of my name yet, Helen, but maybe you'll be good Our enough to tell me. Our name is Baraki. Does that mean anything to you? Baraki? Oh, Helen, yes, yes. Baraki. Virgil Baraki was my husband. Virgil Baraki was Donna's brother. And Virgil Baraki was the man that you shot down and killed. Do you remember? I remember it all right. Six months ago, a trail that led up a blind Los Angeles alley to a garage where stolen cars were switched. I remembered the pair of vicious blue eyes glaring at me over the sights of a blazing 45. I remembered shooting back fast. When it was over, I was alive and he was dying. And later, the coroner's jury decided I'd killed in self-defense. The savagery here in the eyes of the woman who had been Virgil Barucki's wife said that that decision meant nothing. Yes, is this true? Are you the one who... Yeah, yeah, it's true. I shot a man named Virgil Barucki. I had to or be killed by him. There was no choice. You liar. You killed him in cold blood. Now, get out of here. You've done enough to us. Get out. Helen, stop it. Oh, Mama, oh, Mama Barucki, listen, Mama. This is the man who killed Virgil. I know. I've been listening and I heard everything. Go find Ralph for me, Helen. Then you'd better go out to your workshop for a while. Didn't you hear me? I said this I is the man... I said go call Ralph now, at once. Tell him to open the cabin. Then go back to your carving. Can't turn a man out in this weather, not any man. 
You stay, Mr. Marlowe. Thank you, Mrs. Baraki. Donna, go get some hot food. All right, Mom. So, you're Philip Marlowe, the private detective. You don't look much like I'd imagined you. Do people ever? Perhaps not. Oh, um, would you mind fixing the fire? It needs another log. Oh, not at all. You, uh, were stopped by the storm, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah. <clears throat> My car's getting into the ditch about 50 yards down the road. I see. Almost at our doorstep, you might say. A rare coincidence, isn't it? Almost too rare, Mrs. Baraki. I, uh, I'm sorry the circumstances are painful for you. I've grown used to that kind of pain, having lost both a husband and a son. Fate up to now has never been very generous. Do you believe in fate, Mr. Marlowe? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, some things happen for which there's no explanation, no maybe, explanation? but... No explanation? Who knows? Perhaps everything happens according to a prearranged schedule. And for a purpose. Oh, come on. You don't really think I was deliberately shoved off the road at exactly this spot for a reason? Oh, you might admit it's strange, though, that there was a house nearby just when you needed one. And that it was our house. Oh, thank you, Donna. Oh, it's only soup, but it's hot and good and it's fresh bread. The coffee will be ready in a few minutes. Go ahead, Mr. Marlowe. Sit down. It'll do you good. Thanks. Looks wonderful. In the meanwhile, I'll check up on Ralph. He should have the cabin ready by now. It's small, but you'll be comfortable. There's a fine big oil heater in it. I haven't worked one for years. You won't have any trouble. Tell me, uh, uh, who is this Ralph? Ralph Tolman, young fellow who lives near here. Uh, Ralph works for us in the summer. And looks after us in the winter. He's staying over tonight because of the storm. He was my son's best friend. Oh, don't let the soup get cold, Mr. Marlowe. The soup was thick and delicious, and the coffee was rich, black, and steaming. Donna sat across the table and watched me eat. There was no hatred in her eyes. I looked for it closely. It wasn't even animosity. Only confusion and, for some reason, a shadow of fear. But as an hour slipped by and the conversation came easier, the shadow disappeared. Her eyes even began to smile a little. When I'd finished down to the third cup of coffee and started to help her clear the table, the cup slipped. We both grabbed for it, caught one slim inch from breaking, and wound up together on the floor. Our faces close. <laughs> Why, Phil, we did it. What a team. <laughs> table waiters or jugglers? <laughs> oh, we could double it both and make a fortune. <laughs> oh, Ralph. Yeah, Ralph. What's going on? Uh, we have almost dropped a cup. Uh-huh. That sure would have been too bad, wouldn't it, Donna? You only got about 50 like that one. I, uh, I don't know why it's so important to you, but for what it's worth, I was the one who dropped it. It's not important to me. I guess other things aren't so important to Donna either. Think you can get it out to the kitchen now without any more help, Donna? Ralph, it's high time that you... Mrs. Barucki asked me to tell you the cabin's ready, Marlowe. Thanks. No thanks necessary, mister. It's just part of my job. Guess everybody's job has its lousy side, huh? Even a private detective. Some of them get trigger happy, I heard. I'll see you, Donna. You better get out there right away, Marlowe. Donna's got four whole dishes to carry out. And at the rate she's been going, she ought to get started or she'll never make it. Keep your fat trap shut, Buster. You're causing a draft. 
Tolman walked behind me as far as the door and pointed through the snow to a tiny square of light sitting apart from the rest of the buildings that made up Echo Lodge. As soon as I was outside, he slammed the door against my back and bolted it. I stood on the porch and thought about the setup for a minute while I lit a cigarette. And I stepped out into the snow and headed for the cabin. Halfway there, I could see it clearly. It looked snug and warm. And under the circumstances, I knew it was better for everybody that I was sleeping outside the main lodge. But then I saw a sudden flash and felt the impact before anything else. Right in front of me, the cabin lurched. One entire wall burst out and the roof collapsed. A second later, as I ran toward what was left of it, I could hear the others coming. The cabin is Oh, you all right. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, Donna. What happened, Marlowe? I don't know, Tolman. It must have been the heater, but I, I can't understand what it. Happened, I think the heater exploded. Yeah, yeah, Helen, that's the way it looks. But it was working okay when I left. I guess it's not going to burn, though. The snow put it all out. Well, just another few seconds, and you'd have been in there. You'd have been killed. Yeah, maybe that was fate, too, huh? Maybe. Donna, get away from here. Oh, Helen. I wish you had been in there, Marlowe. You deserve it. Hey. Stop it, Helen. He's got no business here. Stop it. Oh, let me alone. But, Lord, after what he's done to us, how can you bear even to look at it? Oh, Helen, come back here. Never go. This was an accident, Donna. An accident, you hear? They happen. Don't say, Mr. Marlowe. Oh, sure, sure. Everybody knows accidents will happen, Mrs. Barucki. Of course, but... Oh, then let's get back into the house before we freeze to death. You can have my room now. I'll sleep with Donna. Come along, all of you. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first... Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Grim Echo. It was a dreary little procession that trudged back toward the lodge again from the shattered cabin. I said nothing and pushed hard against the storm as far as the front door. But when they were all inside, I ducked back into the biting blizzard and ran down to my car in the 38 I kept in the glove compartment there. I figured it would be a warning comfort through the long, cold night ahead. Until I saw that somebody else had figured the same way. The lock on the glove compartment had been sprung and the gun was gone. Now there was no doubt about the explosion. It had been no less accidental than Lucretia Borgia working over an after-dinner drink. As I hurried back to the lodge, I suddenly felt a kind of inside cold. You can't have a blame on the weather around you. But a moment later, that same cold began to thaw. Because huddled at the edge of the lodge, steps ahead was Donna. Phil, where have you been? What have you been doing? Hey, everything's going to be all right. Oh, Phil, please. Why did you go down to your car? Well, I'll tell you, but you're going to be sorry. Sorry? <laughs> but you got so upset over nothing. I wanted to get some cigarettes out of the glove compartment. It's fresh out. That, that was your only reason? Cigarettes? Sure, sure. Now, come on, huh? You got to worry. Let's do it where we can both be warm. <laughs> come on over to the fire. I'm a city boy, you know. This cold isn't doing me any... Hey. Hey, Donna. Those tears in your eyes. There. I think from the wind, it, it always makes me cry. Huh? Oh, Phil. Why do things have to be this way? An hour ago, when you were eating... Everything was so nice, so friendly. 
And then suddenly Ralph angry, the explosion, Helen screaming and clawing at you, Mama. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But look, look, baby, listen to me hard, huh? You see, the things you just spoke of, Ralph, the explosion, Helen, all of it, all the trouble, it belongs to tonight, like the blizzard out there. Oh, it's raging now, sure, but tomorrow, or maybe a little after tomorrow, it'll stop. Everything will look bright and clean to you. Honest, honey, that's the way it'll be. All the way around. Believe me? Oh, Phil, I... I want to, but... But what? But you're talking about tomorrow. I'm worried about tonight. I'm afraid, Phil. Awfully afraid. <laughs> I spent the next ten minutes trying to convince Donna that there wasn't anything to worry about. And then when she'd gone to her room, I went to mine and started all over again trying to convince myself. The out-of-season fireworks in the cabin and a gun stolen from my car made that a very tough proposition. And I checked the room, which was on the ground floor and close to the kitchen. And then I bolted the door and looked forward to some much-needed sleep. After that, I took off my shirt and shoes only, got into bed, and waited for sleep, which a weekend of skiing made more important than a cabin full of hate. Suddenly, I was wide awake and sitting straight up in bed. The footsteps could have belonged to my dream. The door that closed couldn't have. I scrambled out of bed and ran to it, but it was still bolting. So I turned to the single closet in the room and opened it sharply. It was empty, except for a long, thin finger of light that streamed through a keyhole keyhole that belonged to a door at the rear of the closet that gave out onto the kitchen. Obviously, the closet had once been a pantry. I tried the door, but it was bolted from the kitchen side. I got into my shoes, grabbed my shirt, and ran out of the room around to the kitchen and smacked into a very surprised Ralph. Oh, my... Marlo, what are you doing up and rowing around? I'm a sleepwalker. What's your excuse? Come on, let's have it. I'm through playing target for tonight. Target! Sure, hands off me, Marlo. But I know why you're here and exactly what's on your mind. I will not before. Well, have we come to terms? All right, all right, let go. I'm here because my room is on the ground floor and I heard somebody cross through the house and come into this kitchen. So I decided to investigate. You're a liar. You're in my room, Tolman, and you know it. You got in through the door that leads into the closet. Come on, Buster, let's level. We're keeping each other awake. Listen, Marlowe, I don't like you. Honest? And I don't like the way you and Donna are... The way we're what? Come on, boy, get it off your chest. Never mind that now. Look at this. Wood shaving, so what? Yeah, I found it near the door to the closet in your room. Might also be the answer to who your visitor was. She left her calling card. What do you mean, calling card? Helen. She's always covered with these shavings. She makes things out of rough pine. Where is this workshop of hers, Tolman? Out in the back, just beyond the barn. What are you going to do, Marlowe? Not that it's any of your business, but I'm going to see the lady, and I'll see you. Conversation, Helen, if you don't mind. Now, wait a minute, you. It's late. Close that door. I will not. And I will. Now, get up there and sit down. We got a few things to clear up. Like what? The way you murdered my husband, perhaps? Cut it out. Stop it, Helen, or I'll twist your arm off. Just as soon as you decide to behave. Those nails of yours draw blood, baby. Were they going to be good? Yes. All right. Now, sit down over there, away from those sharp chisels you work with, and keep your hands in your lap. Go on, that chair there. Marlowe, anything to accommodate the man who murdered my husband. Which brings us right to the point. You deny it. 
You deny that you shot him down? I fired in self-defense. Speaking lies. You need to feather your own nest to be a hero to the police and the newspapers. You're wrong, Helen. I killed your husband because I had to. He was on the wrong side. Oh, don't make me laugh. You call trying to get money for his family, for me? You call that being on the wrong side? So much that he should have been killed, shot down by the likes of you? Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you have no idea how through these past six lonely months I've thought of you. I wondered what you looked like, what the man who killed Virgil was doing, how you'd like to meet the same death you brought to my husband under the brave banner of law and order. Now, wait a minute, and listen. don't think I didn't plan your death a thousand times over. Don't think I didn't have told Mama Barucky, Ralph, even sweet little Donna with a delicious thought of revenge. No. No, they talk like you talk, Mr. Marlowe. Virgil was doing the wrong thing. He was caught. It wasn't right or wrong. It was him or me. Oh, you shut up and listen. Sure. Sure, Virgil was stealing, all right. He was stealing from me, his wife. That's why he left here. That's why he tried so hard. That's why you had no reason to kill him. And that's why you should die, too. Oh, that's also why we had an accidental explosion at the cabin I was supposed to sleep in, huh? I was clumsy. I was hasty. I won't be the next time. You're completely out of your mind, Helen. Out of my mind? I am. Did you think this existence is living without the man I love could leave me otherwise? Did you think making these stupid souvenirs could his place? Killing me isn't going to bring him back. You get out of here. Go on. Get out. And if you can, Mr. Marlowe, go back to bed. While you wait for a chance to get me with my own gun, the gun you stole from my car? I'm not going to shoot you, Mr. Marlowe. That would only further disgrace the Baraki name, no. No, I'm not going to shoot you. But I am going to get you. For a long, chilling moment, I stared into the eyes of a half-crazed woman standing in front of me. The ice-cold, bottomless eyes that a cancerous hate had destroyed as something human. And as I turned and started out of the room, I knew that I'd made a mistake that night. Virgil Barucki had died in my arms. A mistake I had to correct before it was too late. And there was nothing left of Helen but the ruthless machinery of a mind dedicated to murder. I headed back to the house and talked to Mama Barucky, which I figured had to be the first immediate step. But when I'd gone only a dozen yards from the workshop, I stopped. Oh, Phil, Phil, I'm over here. Donna, what are you doing out here? I couldn't sleep, Phil. I was too worried about you. And then when I saw you leave the house from my window and head for the workshop, I... Phil, Phil, your face. Oh, it was Helen. She, uh... She got a little upset in there. A little? Who would look at you? Your pocket ripped off your shirt, mm-hmm. your face scratched. Oh, it's all right, Donna. I... No. Hey. Hey, my pocket ripped off. The gun. Oh, what did it tell me, please? I now, hold it, Donna. Give me a second. Yeah, yeah, sure. It adds all right. Now, look, get over there inside the barn and scream. Long and loud, huh? Scream? Yeah, yeah. It's our only chance. Go on, do as I say, Donna. Scream. second Donna cut loose, I stepped out of sight behind a tree that was opposite the barn, and I kept my eyes glued to the door of the workshop I just left. I waited for the shattering report of the gun I was afraid I'd hear. But then the door flew open, and Helen was running out toward the barn, and Donna screamed. <coughs> my thirty-eight clenched in a handkerchief in her right hand, a look of stark bewilderment stamped over her face. Donna, answer me! What's wrong? Donna, what are you doing there by the barn? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Save it to me. Helen, I'll have that gun back without further discussion. Yes! There! Now get back against that wall and don't move an inch. No! No! I... 
Bill, what is all this? Attempted murder, honey. She's all right. Attempted murder? You mean Helen here was going to try and kill someone? Yeah, herself. Or suicide? Uh-huh, suicide. That would be called murder and pinned on me. It's going to be her way of getting even. I know, Bill. I, I can't believe it. She you. tried to once, honey, the explosion at the cabin. But when that failed and everybody knew how she felt about me, a warped mind hit upon this little plan, and all the pieces would have fit tight, too. What pieces? What do you mean? That one we argued. So she came to my room tonight and ripped the pocket off this plaid shirt so that we'd find it clenched in her hand after she was dead. You see it? Oh. Three, she stole my thirty-eight, which has my fingerprints on it. And four, she left an obvious clue on the floor of the kitchen, a wood shaving that would bring me out here on the run. So everybody could find me close by when it happened. Oh, oh yeah, it was tight, all right. Tight as a hangman's noose. And then she was going to shoot herself, Phil, just after you left her. And that, that's why you made me scream? Yeah. And that's why now, Donna, later tonight, I'm going to tell her something that I intended to break to her gently. Something I was going to tell Mama Barucki first. Something I hoped would straighten her out. What, Phil? Well, your brother Virgil didn't die the moment he was shot, Donna. He he lived long enough to ask one thing of me. What are are you trying to say, Phil? That I never let Helen or you people here know about the woman he was in love with in L.A. The woman through whom I tracked him down. Oh, Phil. Yeah. Phil. Well, I... I guess it... It wouldn't be good for her if... If I was around too much? No, honey, not for a while, anyway. Wouldn't be good for any of us, huh? Come on, Donna, let's get her into the house. Yes. Yes, Phil. <laughs> the next morning. I went into the kitchen for some coffee and found myself all alone. Thought I wasn't any place in sight. So I got my things together and walked slowly down to my car and when I got in I didn't feel like leaving. Not right away. And I was glad that warming up my motor was the smart thing to do. Gave me time to light a cigarette and think. Look around. Back toward Echo Lodge, where... (laughs) I could see Donna waving goodbye from an upstairs window. I'd see her again in a little while. It was a small world, all right. Full of echoes. And just think how the web of paths we call coincidence had brought me and those who knew and loved Virgil together. Someday, maybe... Donna and I would be looking for each other. And those paths would make it a lot easier. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Sammy Hill, Betty Lou Gerson, Verna Felton, Frank Gerstle, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... 
This time, a peddler of pulp paper love, a blackmailer with muscles, a south-of-the-border chiseler, a simpering prude, and a corpse in a bedroom, all had one thing in common. Each was a woman. (laughs) 